Welcome back to the LED Project Podcast. My name is Kyle Krieger, and I'm so excited today to be joined by Michelle Ferre. Michelle, how are you? I am wonderful. How are you? I'm good. We were just talking about um, <laughs> before the podcast. One is you you told me that to remember your name saying Ferre like hooray, which I think is fantastic. I'm so yes. jealous of your name. And also, <laughs> I you you made me feel better knowing that you have to go till June 15th and I get done like on the 7th of June with school. So yeah, yeah. but I will enjoy it when August comes around and I have all of August off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I suppose that's true too. So, well, I appreciate you being on the podcast today and, and what we're really just trying to do is, um, you know, be a place where teachers can tell their stories and, and really kind of change the, not the dynamic, but kind of the perception of, of what teaching is and, and get it out there so that even though there's so much negative media about teaching that we start to tell the stories of all the great things that are actually happening in classrooms. So to get us started, could you just tell us a little bit of your backstory and how you became a teacher? Yes. So I'm totally that cliche person who wanted to be a teacher ever since they were in elementary school. You know, you've heard it a million times, but actually like that is what happened with me. I distinctly remember sitting in second grade and just deciding, I'm like, okay, this is what I want to do. Like I want to be a teacher. And I think at the time it stemmed from seeing my teacher with like the answer key. And I'm like, yes, like I want to do that the rest of my life, you know, summer's <laughs> off. Like it seemed like the great profession, but I just always felt drawn towards education. I was that person who would hold school for the neighborhood kids on my front porch. I had legit like a whiteboard and easel. I would give them homework and I would check it the next day. Like I was legit with it. So I've always just felt pulled towards it. And kind of going back to my second grade teacher, he was like, I don't even know how to put into words, but he by far has been my favorite teacher. And he kind of became that teacher that I compared all of the rest of my teachers to, um, even though I was like seven at the time. But he was just amazing. His name was Mr. Peelin. And I remember we were out in a portable and it was just kind of like our own little safe haven. And he was really just goofy. And he had like this entire wall of hats that he would wear and he had puppets and he played the guitar. And like when it came to student engagement, he was amazing. And I actually kind of struggled that year. Like looking back on it, I was totally in a reading intervention program and didn't know, but he motivated me and just made me enjoy school. And I think that's why like I just wanted to emulate him. I wanted to become what he was for me. And Never changed my mind. You know, I always knew that I wanted to go into teaching, um, went into college. I actually graduated in three years. Like, I was totally ambitious. I was like, I just want to do it and, like, get into the classroom. So I started teaching when I was 20. Um, I taught wow. second grade for, yeah, which is kind of interesting. You know, being um, underage and starting teaching, not exactly the best combination, you know, being under 21, but it's all right. I got through it. <laughs> so I'm now in my fourth year of teaching. I taught second grade for three years and I am just about to finish my first year teaching fourth grade. Wow. Wow. And and you came right over the top of my next question about your favorite teacher. That's awesome. But uh, I, that's, I can just picture like, like you on the front porch of a house, just teaching math and teaching reading and all that stuff. That's such a, that's such a sweet <laughs> visual to, oh man, that's so fun. So yeah. to, to continue going, I, I would love for you to finish a, a few of these phrases that we have. So the first phrase is the hardest part of teaching is. 
all of the demands that don't actually involve students. So like the meetings, the paperwork, the data analysis, all of that stuff where you don't actually get to interact with students. And that obviously is all super important because it does end up benefiting your students and like it's necessary. But my passion for education is because of the students. And I'm just not as motivated when it comes to those tasks. I'm not as excited because I don't get to interact with students. Right. Right. And I guess what I've learned is having, having taught in Texas and now back in Wisconsin, I was like, you know, I taught in Texas and you know, they said everything's bigger in Texas. So, you know, they, t they take their education seriously. And, you know, they, they had what I thought was a crazy amount of standardized testing and all that stuff. And I came back to Wisconsin mm -hmm. and I realized that it's, it's, it's the same everywhere. Like you may yeah. have a little more or a little less, but I think those constraints and what was that like, you know, coming back to your first answer, what was that like as a 20 year old having to manage and balance all that? Well, I mean, honestly, the hardest part of that, I think, was convincing the parents as a first year teacher and being 20 years old and literally looking like a child and then being there and it's like, hi, I'm your kid's second grade teacher. That definitely took some time to kind of win the parents over um, and show them like, hey, I actually do know what I'm doing. So that was difficult just to kind of convince them. But I mean, I've always been just a very like ambitious person. And I think for my age, I've always been somewhat more on like the mature side and just kind of more grown up. So for me to start teaching at 20, like did not seem foreign to me. I know a lot of kids where it will take them several years to get through college because they're still trying to figure out what they want to do. But like, I've always just been so gung-ho and like, if I know I want to do something, I am full speed ahead. So it wasn't that foreign to me, but just, it did make it more difficult as a first year teacher being so young. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Cause like I, I graduate, see, I'm, I'm a little bit different. Like I took, I took the full five year route to get done yeah. with college. And then I was in Wisconsin in 2008 and that was kind of the economic downturn and all these jobs that were supposed to be there were mm -hmm. gone. So I subbed for a year and then I took the job in Houston and I was 25 at that time. Yeah. And it was, and even it was overwhelming then. And granted, right, you know, right. the, the, stereotypically men are not as mature. And for me, it was such an adjustment. <laughs> I, it was such an adjustment because I grew up in a town of like 2,200 people. And I moved okay. to Houston, which has over 5 million. So it was That's just crazy. so much, so much new information um, at one time. But I, I really enjoyed it. So the next phrase is, yeah. the one thing I wish parents knew about teaching is... How much teachers sacrifice in order to help their child grow and be successful. Um, and I mean, that can be sacrificing sleep, sacrificing time with family and friends, sacrificing personal free time. I, and I'm sure it's not true for every teacher, but at least for me, um, teaching is my life. It's not my whole life, but it is a big chunk of my life because it is something that I'm so passionate about. So I do spend countless hours a day, even when I leave the classroom, either thinking about the classroom, doing stuff for the classroom, thinking about my students, like it is such a bulk of my life. Um, and I just, I don't think parents realize like how much teachers actually dedicate towards teaching and for their kids and their students. It, it, it is a big part of their lives. And I think that some parents just don't realize like, how important to us it is. Right, right. That's, 
That is very true. A lot of people, we probably asked a half a dozen people this question and a lot of people say that. And a lot of people have said too, just, we wish parents knew how much we really cared. You know, we wish that would come across more and, but yeah, the sacrifice is an important thing. Cause I, you know, coming down later on in the podcast, I want to ask you kind of about how you managed all your time with everything you got going, but I'm sure there is yeah. not a teacher out there that hasn't sacrificed so next phrase is right. something I've struggled with in my teaching career is taking time for myself um, I'm very much a perfectionist very type a personality and I would say the first like two three years of my teaching career not that it's been super long it's only been four years but still I was so focused on teaching um, that I kind of became unhappy because I didn't have a life outside of it. So something that has taken a lot of adjustment for me is just learning to leave stuff at school and you don't always have to take home papers to grade and you don't always have to spend hours at home working on stuff because no matter how much time you spend, there is always going to more. And I think as teachers, you know, we want to do everything we can to help our students, but sometimes the best thing you can do is fill up your own cup and make sure you have what you need before you try to fill up someone else's and make sure that they have what they need. Right. I was talking to uh, Brittany McGregor a few weeks ago and she has, you know, the, the cutesy class, the Etsy shop and all that. And she was like, yeah. she said something that resonates with that too. She's like, it's okay. Everything's going to get done eventually. And I just thought that was mm -hmm. so good, especially as a you know, for me as a new teacher, I think my first like four years of school, I had perfect attendance. Yeah. Because I was so dedicated. And, and there were a lot of times where I could have really easily taken a mental health day or yeah. gone on gone on a long weekend with friends that were going on a long weekend. So I, I think that's super important as well. So, all right. Yeah. Last phrase is the most rewarding part of teaching is? Forming relationships with your students. Um, that's just big to me. You know, I'm in it for the kids and you can't, I just don't feel like you can be an effective teacher without forming those relationships. And I have kid I taught several years ago who I still talk to on the phone, like at least once a month. And I still drive like two and a half hours to go visit them or go to like a sporting event. Um, because to me, like if you were my student once, you were my student forever. And I just so cherish those relationships and being able to impact the student, not only that year, but continue to like be a part of their life and see them grow and see like the impact that I got to have on their lives. Yeah. Um, and, and in your teacher preparation, like when you were in college, was the importance of relationships stressed or is that something you learned or, or you just kind of intrinsically knew about being a teacher? That's a good question. I never thought about it, but no, I don't think it was ever really stressed. Um, I mean, I had a class on like classroom management and she did talk a lot about like preventing behaviors instead of reacting to them and like kind of talked about relationships, but it was never a big stress. Um, it was mostly about the curriculum and, you know, the academic parts. Um, I think for me, Honestly, seeing a lot of like teachers on social media and everything helped influence that importance of relationships with students. And, you know, when you see certain movies uh, like Freedom Riders and you just see like the relationship that that teacher has with their students and the effect it has on them just kind of instilled in me that that was an important factor of teaching. And 
when I think back on my favorite teachers, it's the teachers that I had a good relationship with and the, the teachers that were interested in my life outside of just school. So I wanted to be able to be that for my students. Yeah. I mean, and that's just, you know, I, I'm, I graduated college 10 years ago now and, and even then there, it wasn't ever made explicit. And I just wonder, cause everyone we've talked to on this podcast has, has emphasized the importance of relationships. And yet everybody I've asked that follow-up question to, no one has said, yep, they made it explicit. They made it really clear that this was, this was kind of the key, not only to academic success, but also to like the enjoyment of being a teacher. Cause I think yeah. there were times definitely in my career early that I sacrificed those relationships to try to be better curriculum wise or to really get the kids to be successful academically. And there are some kids that are just not going to be as successful academically, but they really need that relationship piece. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So what is your take on the state of education in, in America right now? <laughs> what a loaded question. <laughs> um, I think this could be taken, you know, a couple different ways. Uh, I could emphasize all of the negative things, whether it's budget cuts or low salaries or the ridiculous amounts of testing or some of the individuals in charge, like, I don't know, Secretary of Education. But I'm not going to focus on any of that because you know, that's what you see in the media. Um, and I liked what you said at the very beginning about how you want your podcast to be able to kind of change, like, just the talk about teachers. Um, so I'm going to focus on something else. I personally think within the field of education, the teachers today are some of the most passionate and qualified and just hardworking professionals that you can find. Even like soon to be teachers that are graduating um, are just so passionate about teaching, despite all of those things that I mentioned at the beginning, which I just think speaks volumes about the people that go into teaching. And even in terms of like professional development, I feel like teachers are just doing as much as they can to make sure they are as qualified and effective for their students as possible. Yeah, you know, and, and and I love that that you 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 know admit that there is a lot of negative out there, but I really appreciate that you you know are highlighting the 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 positive part because there is so much and and just the you know the the six months to a year that we've really tried to be a part of the Instagram teacher community. I mean, that's mm -hmm. that's so clear on there. And and what I really like, and you know, we were both talking, we were talking a little bit before we started recording about you know, we're both going to be a part of the teacher hard out cruise next summer. And yes. what I love, what I, beyond it just being a cruise and being fantastic, I really like that the majority of professional developments, these conferences that I'm seeing now are really teacher led and like teacher directed. So it's teachers learning from teachers. Cause I, I feel like yes. at the start of my career, it was very much like, this is a person from this company who's going to teach you this particular skill. And I think it's so much more valuable to, to hear it from a practitioner, someone who's actually in the classroom. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Yeah. So we're, we, we can maybe talk a little bit about, uh, more about that at the end, but if you haven't already heard, teach your heart out conference on a cruise <laughs> to the Bahamas next summer, it's going to be awesome. So, um, <laughs> Do you have a particular philosophy in terms of teaching or education? 
I feel like I'm having flashbacks to college with this question. I'm pretty sure I wrote like a 10 page paper on this. Um, Okay. I'm going to keep it simple uh, because you can get so elaborate with this. You know, I personally think education should be used to make the world a better place. Like ultimately that's what it comes down to. That's what education is supposed to do. And that can be done in so many different ways. Obviously with the more education you have, the society just flourishes more and you can create more advances in technology. You can offer more products and services and just opportunities for people. And that's all great. And that really is like the academic, like the core subjects. But I personally think that it should be so much more than that. I mean, that's important because it does have an impact, but I also think that students should be taught just things about life, you know, generosity, gratitude, self-esteem, activism, um, things that they may not otherwise be taught. Because yes, there are some families out there that will instill that in their children, but there are some kids that won't get that otherwise. So personally, I just think that that's a really important factor um, besides the actual academics. And all of those things are going to just impact community and how different communities interact with each other. And all of those factors are going to just improve the general quality of life for people around the world. Yeah, that's a great answer. I, I, don't, I don't think I can add anything to that. That's, <laughs> that should be what education is about. Yeah. So... I reached out to you originally probably, it's probably what, been two months? And, yeah. And you were a little busy with, with Boston Marathon training. So I would love to hear a little bit about your experience in the Boston Marathon. Yeah. So let me kind of um, go back and explain how I got into the Boston Marathon. Because if you just hear that, you're probably like, oh, she's a super fast runner. I am not. Um, I have been a runner for a long time. I've ran for like 10 years now. I started in high school. I was a sprinter and I did do cross country, but I was never like great at it. Um, so back in November, I actually applied to be part of an all teacher team that was being put together by a company called Highlands. So Highlands is the official cramp relief sponsor of the Boston Marathon. And every year they put together a team. And last year they had done a team of all women. And this year they did a team of all teachers. And ironically, they actually reached out to me, um, to spread it on my YouTube channel. And I was like, okay, but I'm also going to apply myself. So I applied, I had really heard anything. I didn't think I was going to be a part of the team. I kind of given up hope. And then in December, right before winter break, I actually was surprised by my students and my team teachers and my administration. Um, And they kind of like pranked me and they told me that I was picked for the team. So that was just amazing. And it's an honor. It was a team of 12 of us. And then they also had some like legacy runners who had been a part of their team before. So to be able to be picked out of a pool of like 1600 people was just amazing. And like, I'm like, what did I do to deserve to be on this team? Um, But it really gave me the opportunity of a lifetime because otherwise I would have never ran into Boston Marathon. Cause like I said, I'm not a super fast runner. My PR for marathon is like four hours. So I'm not like the fastest person out there, but um, so in terms of like training, I started training in December and then the race was April 16th. So it was like, I don't know, four months or five months, something like that. I was typically training about six days a week. Um, I had Wednesdays off and every once in a while I would have a Monday off too. So Monday through Friday, my runs were anywhere between like six to nine miles. Um, So it would take like an hour to an hour and a half. And then Saturday runs were like 10 to 12 miles. It would take about an hour and then, um, well, an hour to two hours. And then Sunday runs were like 
on the low side, 12 miles all the way up to like 18. That was my long run day. So that was like two to three hours that I was spending running. So it was very time consuming, but, you know, to be able to be a part of this team and just represent them and, you know, share the whole experience with my students was awesome because I have ran five marathons now total. I had ran four prior. And one of the reasons I stopped running marathons was because I started teaching because it's really hard to try to do both because it's just so time consuming. So, um, the actual race was very interesting. It wasn't uh, what I had pictured, you know, the Boston Marathon, for anyone who's not familiar with marathon running, it's like the Super Bowl of marathons. It's the most prestigious marathon. It's the most difficult to get into. And it also just has this atmosphere that is unlike any other race. It's difficult to put into words. Um, so I had pictured it being this just grand experience and I was going to PR and all this other stuff. The weather uh, ended up being some of the worst weather they've ever had in like the history of the Boston Marathon. So it was the coldest marathon they've had in over 30 years. The feels like temperature was in like the 20s. Um, I think the actual temp was in the 30s. It was 50 mile per hour wind gusts. And of course, it wasn't a tailwind, you know, pushing you forward. No, it was a headwind coming straight at you. It poured down rain the entire time. Um, So by far, that was the most difficult and just brutal race that I've ever had. Um, I've never, you know, like, not that I thought about quitting, but there were definitely moments where I'm like, why am I doing this? Like I am voluntarily out here (laughs) for like five hours in the rain um, because it ended up being like super slow. I could not run, you know, a PR in that. But overall, though, still the atmosphere of the race. I mean, the people who came out to like cheer us on in the pouring down rain, in the wind, in the cold was just phenomenal. And I actually had some people who like follow me um, on YouTube and Instagram who came out to like cheer me on, which was amazing. So I'm like, what are you doing out here in the weather? But um, that was just incredible. And you know, actually happy, I think in hindsight that the weather was what it was because it made it that much more rewarding to finish. And it made it that much more just of a memorable experience to come back and share with my students and kind of share it with them as like a learning experience and share with them that you don't always get what you thought, you know, like you can train for something for months and months and months, and then it doesn't go the way that you thought, but that's okay because it's about the journey. It's not about the destination. And just to talk to them about like perseverance and all that, like in the long run, it was totally worth it. So you said earlier that you're kind of a perfectionist, you're, you're kind of a workaholic. So, so how did you create a schedule or carve out time or, or, prioritize that training when you're so dedicated to your, your teaching job? Yeah, that definitely was something I kind of had to figure out along the way. Um, I personally think if you want something to work, you will make it work. And that's kind of what I ended up just doing. Um, I definitely did not have as much like personal time, you know, when I used to like maybe have a night to watch Netflix, I did not have that anymore. I was essentially teaching, running, eating, or sleeping. (laughs) And that was it. Like that, 
definitely kind of took over my life for that period of time. But I kept reminding myself, like, it's temporary. And yes, there were days where I was so exhausted. And there were nights where I was up super late because by the time I got home from my run and ate dinner and showered, it was like 10 o'clock and I was just starting to lesson plan. So I'm not going to say it was easy. It was definitely difficult. Um, There were times where I was taking it one day at a time. It was just like, okay, what do I have to do for tomorrow? And I would get it done. And it it was challenging. Um, But I actually think like it helped me become a stronger person. You know, it helped me learn how to balance things better and, and really focus on what is important because, you know, sometimes as a teacher, there's like those extra things that you do where it's like, yeah, that's nice where, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I really like to do like classroom transformations where I like completely change the classroom to a certain theme to go with the lesson. And, and that's all great. But like, ultimately you don't have to do that to be an effective teacher. You just have to show up every single day, be there for your kids, love them and do everything you can to support them. So I just started to really focus on like what is important that I really have to do. Um, and that just kind of led me. Awesome. That's, that's a really good um, description of it too. Cause I, I know that, like I said, I went through the phase of where you were just solely 100% dedicated and it's taken me, you know, eight years of teaching to really prioritize myself and, and get to the point where, it's okay when I have a night where I just sit and watch a movie or it's okay if I, you know, go up and spend time with my family on the weekend and not be completely dedicated to, cause those things are important. Like there's value in, in those things that, that make us who we are. So, um, yeah, you're j- just to, to, to say it, even though everybody knows that your, your YouTube channel is fantastic by the way. <laughs> Not everyone knows it, but thank you. <laughs> well, a lot of people know it. So um, how long have you been been creating on YouTube and what was kind of your motivation to get that started? I actually had to look it up. I posted my first video July 27th of 2016. So it's coming up on two years now. In terms of my motivation, um, I had started a teacher Instagram partially because I was posting teacher like stuff on my personal Instagram and my friends and family were getting so tired of it. And I was like, okay, I need a different space to share this. So I started an Instagram and fell in love with just the teaching community that's on social media. And I fell in love with like being able to just surround myself with other people who are passionate about the same things that I'm passionate about. And I quickly just started to realize that I had these ideas that I wanted to be able to share And I actually tried a blog that did not go very well. I love writing, like creative writing, but in terms of like sitting down to write a blog post, like major fail. I think I have like five posts total because it just was not my jam. And I think I was doing it because I saw everyone else doing blogs and I thought that that's what I had to do. And I suddenly just thought about it and I was like, you know what, like that's not my thing. And so I need to find my thing. And I had already kind of done a YouTube channel. I don't talk about this a lot because it's not my fondest memories. But when I was in college, I actually ran a YouTube channel on like fitness. I say ran. I don't think I ever had more than like 20 subscribers, (laughs) but I was trying. And it was called My Weekly Fitness. I thought it was so creative. So it was abbreviated MWF. So I posted on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Real, real cute, Michelle. But I had just loved being able to share stuff through video um, because I think I'm much better at expressing things over video. So 
I thought about it. And at the time, there weren't that many teachers on YouTube. Um, it was kind of a newer thing. I mean, YouTube was not new, but teachers on YouTube was just kind of starting to blossom. And I was like, you know what? Like, I want to put myself out there. I want to be able to share things and do it in a way that's authentic to who I am. Right. So, so just to give everybody kind of an idea. So y you get an idea for a video or a vlog or whatever it is. What is, what is the process that it takes you to actually get it onto YouTube and, and how long does that process take total? <laughs> oh, okay. So I'll do this for like a classroom vlog because my channel started with like sit down informational videos and then it kind of transformed into a vlog channel on accident. But for one classroom vlog, um, so I film throughout the week, Monday through Friday, just in my classroom. And then I used to do my editing on Friday nights, and then I would post it Saturday morning, and I quickly realized that was a horrible idea because I was so tired on Fridays. Um, so I switched it, and I now upload Sunday mornings, so I do all my editing on Saturday. So I have to sit down. Um, I have to get all of the footage from my memory card onto my external hard drive. And then I have to import all the clips from there into Final Cut Pro. That's my editing software that I use. Then I have to put all of the footage into like a project and I have to put in like my intro and my outro and all that. I go in and I add the dates of like the different days. Um, and then I actually start the editing process, which obviously is the most like lengthy going through and cutting out little pauses or areas where I messed up or, um, you know, and just editing a vlog. Like I've had people say, they're like, you should put up one without editing it. I'm like, vlogs don't work like that. Like you have to get like B-roll footage and all this other stuff. So, um, I go through and I kind of perfect everything the way that I want. And that process alone typically takes like two to three hours then I have to go and watch it all back because I used to not do that. And then I would watch it back like once I actually uploaded it and I'd find all of these mistakes. And I was like, oh, like it was just cringeworthy. So now I go through and I watch the whole thing back before I like finalize it. Um, and my vlogs are typically anywhere between 30 to 60 minutes. So that alone um, actually ends up taking almost double that amount of time because you watch it through, but you also have to like stop it here and there and make little adjustments and that takes time. So then I have to export it and that can take like, you know, 20 minutes just to export the clip. I have to go through and type out the caption or not the caption, I'm sorry, the description, I'm thinking Instagram, uh, type out the description, upload it into YouTube. And then once it's uploaded, I have to go in and add little things where I like have um, previous videos pop up at the end and all that. So I would say from beginning to end, one classroom vlog, so I do this every week, takes five to six hours. Um, Typically Saturday nights, I'm up until like 3 a.m. because <laughs> I'm the bad person that doesn't start editing until like eight o'clock at night. But yeah, Saturday nights are a pretty long night for me. <laughs> All right. So so you've given us that that, you know, kind of picture into what it's like. So. So then wh why do you go? What value does that provide teachers that would that would motivate you to go through all of that work work to to put that content out there yeah that's a good question um so for me uh i had a very rough first year of teaching and it was a lot of different factors but 
it was just rough. And I was spending so many nights like crying myself to sleep. And I want to be able to provide teachers, particularly new teachers or soon to be teachers with all of the information and all of the insights that I wish I had, but didn't, because I think I would have been such a happier just person overall my first year of teaching if I had had that. And I think that teaching is hard enough on all of us with all the demands that are placed on us. So if I can relieve any of that from them, whether it's giving them a TPT product that will make their lives easier or just giving them ideas or allowing them to kind of escape from all of the stuff with teaching that's difficult and like watch my vlog for 30 to 60 minutes and just kind of like zone out and just relax. Um, I'm more than happy to do. I'm more than happy to spend those five, six hours every week to be able to produce content that ultimately will help other teachers. Um, plus, and this wasn't exactly my intention. I mean, originally I just wanted to get my ideas out there, but I ended up kind of building this like community on my channel of like-minded individuals who are passionate about teaching and it just allowed us to all kind of collaborate and support one another. And I think that that's so needed because again, if I had had that my first year of teaching, I wouldn't have been as miserable as I was. Right, right. And, and that's really what we hope the podcast can be for us. And I really, I really resonated with the story of you talking about because I've tried to do the blog for so long. And, <laughs> and like you, um, the, the, the written medium is, is not my best medium. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm way better in the voice medium. And right now, we're not a spot where I can dedicate all the time it takes you to do the video part. So, right, right. but, but with that mission to just create that community, that's awesome. So how have you grown as a teacher, um, in your time doing the vlog and, and, and being a part of that community? Yeah. So interesting cool. enough, I kind of mentioned that my channel ended up kind of becoming more of a vlog channel, which was not my original intention. I just had someone like float the idea to me and they're like, Hey, you should try a vlog. And I'm like, uh, I don't think my life's interesting enough, but sure, I'll try it. And when I filmed my first vlog and went back and edited it, edited, that's hard to say, edited it, <laughs> watching it back became like a collective tool, almost like an online diary and getting to go back and see the things that I did and the effect that they had and my feelings that I had and why I had those feelings and how I overcame them or maybe didn't overcome them just allowed me to better figure out like who I am as a teacher, what works for me. And it allowed me to see like patterns of, of my feelings or my productivity or whatever it was. Like it really has almost become just as much as I create content for other people. I also do it for me. And the fact that I now have, I've been doing vlogs for about a year and a half. Um, the fact that I have the past year and a half on video to like look back on, I just think is so, uh, so awesome. And I'm, I think I'm going to be even happier as time goes on and I become more of like a veteran teacher and look back on those experiences. I'm just so happy now that I started doing it, even if it wasn't like my original intention. Besides just that, personally, my confidence has grown tremendously because surprisingly, I'm very introverted. And I don't think a lot of people realize that because they hear YouTube channel and they automatically think that anyone who has a YouTube channel is extroverted. And that is just not the case. But when I have a camera and it's just me talking to the camera, I can be so much more my authentic self. And it has just allowed me to kind of 
blossom and come out of my shell more and be confident sharing my ideas because I started getting feedback from people and, you know, they're telling me how they were able to implement this idea in their classroom and how successful it was. And all of a sudden I'm like, Hey, I actually have information worth sharing with people. And not that I was an unconfident person before, but I've always kind of been that person where I just, I get down on myself. I expect a lot from myself. And I kind of always think that like what I'm doing is not enough. And my channel has made me realize like it is enough and I'm doing great things and I don't have to be everything and I don't have to be perfect in order to do that. Yeah. And I, and I think what resonated with me and what you just said there too is, you know, in the last, you know, just in 2018, I, I've gone through our list of all the people we've had on the podcast and we've interviewed like 30 teachers. And mm -hmm. I didn't realize how much that was pouring into me listening to those stories and, and getting so much of that positive feedback. I, yeah. think, I think that's super important. But one of the things I really appreciate about not only your, your vlog or your YouTube channel, but your Instagram is the fact that, that you show both sides of teaching. Like you're, you're not afraid to admit when something kind of falls on its face mm -hmm. and it doesn't go well. So, so what's the importance uh, of, of telling both sides? So obviously every single teacher out there, I don't care who you are, you have good days and bad days. And that's just the reality of it. And I think most, not most, but I think there's a, a, a group of teachers who are afraid to admit when they're struggling, which is ironic because again, it's something every single person goes through. But I think as teachers, we're afraid that we're going to appear as ineffective or weak if we admit that we're struggling. Plus, I think social media kind of plays a factor and it makes teachers less likely to show the bad days because it seems like no one else is going through that. And you don't want to be like that outcast. It's like, oh, hey, I sucked as a teacher today. So for me, I think acknowledging that teaching is like a roller coaster and you have ups and you have downs. It allows other teachers to relate better um, just to like what I'm going through because they've gone through the same thing. And it kind of creates this like safe space where you can acknowledge that there's times where we question our career choice. And even if we feel, you know, like we don't want to continue, it gets better and showing them that it's okay to have those feelings. It's more so what you do after and how you let those feelings kind of propel you. Um, you know, we know that there's a pretty big percentage of teachers who leave the classroom with their first five years of teaching. I know they used to say it was like 50%. And I was reading an article that said it's more like 17%. But I still think that's a pretty high percentage. And I honestly think that that's because so many teachers hold everything in until they reach their breaking point, because they're so afraid to admit that they need help. They're afraid to admit that they're struggling. So personally, I want to create a community where it's okay to talk about your struggles because once you talk about it, then you can try to find a solution or you can find support. Whereas if you hold it all in, it's not going to get any better. Yeah. You know, and I'm thinking about, I've, I've seen a lot of people with the hashtag um, stop teacher guilt or stop teacher mm -hmm. shame. And, and I think that's so relevant because they, you know, we can feel bad. Like we can really shame ourselves because something doesn't go perfect or something doesn't do this. And, and like you said, bottling it up is maybe the worst thing when you're feeling shame or you're feeling down. Like that's the worst thing that you can do is to bottle it up and, and, and not really share it with people. So I think, I think that's such a good point. And, and like you pointed out though too, there are a lot of teachers that are on Instagram that are telling both sides, even though yeah. there are, you know, you can see the highlights of people, but if you're really paying attention and, and that's why like the story feature on Instagram, I think is so important Yeah. that if you go through, cause I, 
because I think if you just look at people's feeds, it can kind of give you a, a different perception of what they, what's going on. But if you go to someone's story, like every night there's a story of, of some teacher talking about, man, this really tanked and this didn't do this and that. So I think it's, I think it's really great that, that you're willing to put yourself out there because, I mean, it can be hard to, it's, it's hard for everybody to admit when they're wrong or something doesn't go the way they want it to or they're just, you know, in that low spot. Yeah. And I think what you were mentioning with Instagram and especially with the stories, I do feel like as a community of just like teachers on Instagram, overall, it has gotten much better with teachers sharing the good and the bad. And I think originally think back to like Pinterest, that's kind of where the term like Pinterest perfect teacher came from. It was only like the highlight reel, right? All the good things. So I do think that Instagram and what you mentioned about Instagram stories, I think is a good point that now teachers are more willing to kind of open up and share like the good and the bad. Right, right. So, so say there's a teacher that wants to be putting content out, whether it's a vlog like yours or a podcast like ours or a blog or, or whatever it is, what advice would you give them getting started on, on how to just kind of get themselves out there? Above anything else, I would say just to be authentic, both for yourself and for your audience. Don't mimic what you see other people doing because just because something works for them doesn't mean it's necessarily going to work for you. And viewers are smart. They can tell if you're being 100% your authentic self or not. And there's been a big surge of teachers onto YouTube, which I think is amazing. I love that there's more and more people on there sharing their ideas and being willing to put themselves out there because that is very <laughs> not traumatic, but it's risky because I will tell you on Instagram, for the most part, people are pretty nice. YouTube, not always the case. There are a lot of trolls on YouTube. There's a lot of people who literally just go on and like in the comments tell you about how awful you are. So like to put yourself out there is huge. And I think that it's great that so many people are now exploring YouTube as a medium to share. But I'm, I'm noticing a lot of people just kind of mimicking what they see other people doing, which I think is okay to start. I can understand getting on there and not really knowing what to do. So you kind of start by what you see other people doing. But as you continue on your journey as a content creator, just make sure that you are creating content that is just authentic to you and just really tells your story. Kind of like what you mentioned with the podcast, like make sure that you are being true to yourself. Right, right. And and it is like, and it's so strange to me now that I, and I'm going to date myself. Like I was in college when YouTube first started. Yeah. And I was like, what is this YouTube nonsense? I was like, I'm never, <laughs> I'm never, I'm never going to be, I'm never going to watch stuff on YouTube. And that kind of reminds me of like, cause around that same time, like the, the fitness methodology CrossFit was getting big. And I was uh -huh. like, I was like, I'm never doing CrossFit either. And clearly <laughs> I do, I do both of those things now, but yeah. But I, I mean, it took us, we've been, we've been doing our podcast a year and a half, but it really took us a year and then really committing at the start of 2018 mm -hmm. to do it and really put ourselves out there. And like my principal podcast that I didn't agree with one of the policies he had put in place and like called me into his office. Oh gosh. And I was just like, and, and I, when you were talking about some of the negative things that could come and I was just like, well, yeah, I mean, it's out there and yeah. I'm, I'm, I don't regret that I said I, I disagreed with his, his policy, but you know, those are some of the dangers and you know, thankfully it didn't cost me my job or anything, but 
it yeah. was an interesting I'm, conversation. I'm glad you brought that up because that's an important factor as well. Um, just the fact that, especially as a teacher, when you're putting stuff out there, you have to be extremely careful. Um, you need to make sure that it's okay if you're going to show students um, and you have to go through all the legalities of that. Um, I personally am choosing not to. I could go about getting permission slips and all that, but I don't want to because my channel has grown and I now have over 100,000 subscribers. I don't feel like it's safe for my students to do that. So you have to make a lot of personal decisions in terms of what you're going to put out there. But what you said about like sharing your opinions on things, that's a big factor. You need to make sure anything you share, you're okay with parents knowing, you're okay with administrators knowing, you're okay with team teachers knowing, and your students. Um, that's a big thing with me. I previously teaching second grade, second graders don't really know about YouTube, at least not that much. Fourth graders watch YouTube all the time and literally mm -hmm. First day of school, I had a student raise his hand. He goes, you have a YouTube channel. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. I cannot even get through one day without this being known. So almost immediately, my students all knew about my channel. And they do all go on and watch it, which at first I felt really uncomfortable with. I'm like, I don't know how I feel about this. But it's actually helped me connect to them better. Um, them getting to see my life outside of teaching and kind of everything that goes on with that, I think has helped them just respect me more as like a teacher and they see how much I truly love them and all the time I put into it. So it's turned out to be a good thing, but you do have to be careful with what you put out there. In fact, my current job, when I went in for the interview at the end, they're like, do you have anything else to add? And I'm like, no, I'm good. And they're like, well, we Googled you. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> about that. And they're like, so tell us about this YouTube thing. Like they knew all of it. And thankfully they're super supportive and I'm so incredibly grateful for that. But you need to keep that in mind. Once you put yourself out there on the internet, even deleting videos, it doesn't really go away because you never know who has screen capped something or downloaded something. Right. So you just have to be really right. careful. Right. And and that point too, like I have I have a I have a personal Instagram where I put, you know, like my family stuff in that and that's locked or it's you know it's private private but yeah. then you know i have we have our our teaching instagram that we use and and none of I, none of my students have found it yet but i'm sure at some point they will <laughs> it's coming but it's i mean but but that's okay and just like right you know, there's that point where you know i i i disagreed with with a policy on on study hall like mm -hmm. what what they wanted to be done in, with study hall um was not what I felt like was the right thing to do. Um, and I had a conversation with my principal and he's like, Hey, you know, you can't be saying stuff like this. And I just kind of said, okay, you know, and it, it's a, it's a part of it. And right. you know, I'm, I'm hopefully learning my lesson to where I didn't, I, I don't want people to think that I went out and blasted my principal or, or did that. That wasn't the case. I just disagreed with how study hall should be run. And, mm -hmm. you know, he and I then had a conversation and, you know, it was fine. And, and study hall, I will be happy to report runs just fine. Kids come in, they get to do their work. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's what it is. So, um, yeah. yeah, to kind of, to kind of wrap it up, um, and, and make sure we're respectful of your time. Cause I'm sure you got a lot going on. Um, this can be teaching or otherwise. What's the best advice you've ever been given? Uh, so my dad and I growing up, we're both night owls and we're always like up late at night. And there are a lot of times where we just kind of be up late and talking. And I remember having a conversation with him once and I remember him saying something 
along the lines of like set goals, stay quiet about them, crush them, and then let your success be the noise. Um, and that's something that's always just kind of stuck with me. And I am more on like the quiet side. And now that I'm like venturing out into YouTube, um, and I've stepped out of my comfort zone a little bit. Ultimately, you know, I never want to be that person that seems full of themselves because like that is not me. Like I said, I've always struggled with confidence and all that. So I don't want people to get the wrong image. So honestly, a lot of the things like I just stay quiet, I grind, I get it done, I crush it. And then whatever ends up happening, like people can then kind of form their own opinions from that. Yeah, I, f I feel you on that. And that's a hard part really to, I mean, and, and our, our podcast is not even remotely close to what your YouTube, YouTube channel gets, but like, I've really had to start to almost talk myself up a little bit. Like, yeah, you know, we're doing a good job. Like we're, we're putting good content out there and, and being willing to maybe not brag so much, but I, I have to have an inner dialogue with myself. That's like, yeah, you know what, you got to keep doing what you're doing. Like people are responding, you know, we're to the point where we're getting between, you know, seven and 800 downloads a week, which is, yeah, that's know, awesome. Up, up until three months ago, that was all we had had total. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, it's, it's been, it's been a crazy journey, but I, I do agree with you that there's a, there's a kind of a having to be humble on one side, but also to like, I feel you on the need to like step out and, and, and be doing, doing the things cause teachers need it. I mean, like, the, the bigger we can grow this community, the, the better off I think we'll be. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So the best thing you've read in the last 12 months. So I'm totally that person that like rereads the same book 10 times instead of getting a new book. <laughs> like I don't like to step out of my comfort zone. I like what I like. So one book that for me like is a classic, I literally reread it every year, like at the start of the school year is The Essential 55 by Ron Clark. So anyone who's not familiar with the book, he basically goes through 55 things that he kind of tries to teach and instill in his students that he thinks are important just in terms of like them as human beings. So things like making eye contact with people when they're talking to you or saying thank you for things. And I love to instill some of those same values in my students. Not all of them. I don't agree with everyone, but it's always a good reminder just to go back and be like, yes, these are the things that I want my students to learn that is not in the curriculum. Nice. Okay. Your proudest accomplishment to date. Okay. I'm going to be cliche. Uh, probably creating my YouTube, uh, sorry, creating my YouTube channel, mostly because I have completely built it up myself and it's because of who I am and my personality that I bring to my videos that has allowed it to grow the way that it has. And as a result, I formed this community of just amazing people who motivate me to become a better person on a daily basis. So I'm just so proud that I was able to do that because I didn't intend for it to grow to what it has. And I'm so thankful for everything that it has done in my life, even just in terms of like giving me motivation and inspiration and confidence that I otherwise would not have had. Awesome. All right. So before we wrap it up with the final question, for people that want to connect with you, check out your videos, uh, follow you, where, where's the best place for them to do that? So almost everywhere, my name is Pocketful of Primary, which Pocketful has one L, P-O-C-K-E-T-F-U-L, and then of Primary. 
So on Instagram, it's just pocketful of primary, no spaces. YouTube, it's pocketful of primary, three different words. I'm on Facebook as well under pocketful of primary, but I don't post a whole lot on there. It's just like, hey, I have a new video up. So it's mostly Instagram and YouTube. Awesome. Awesome. So last question, what do you want your legacy to be? Ultimately, I just want to leave a positive impact on people's lives. I want to be able to motivate and inspire people to have a positive mindset and just make people want to constantly improve themselves because that personally has brought me so much happiness. And one of the best compliments that I can receive from someone is that I, I inspire them to be a better person or I inspire them to do something as a teacher, try something new, and it helped them discover more of like who they are as a teacher. Like just to be able to impact people in that way that can leave a positive, you know, just impact on their lives is what I want to do. Awesome. Well, Michelle, I, I'm super appreciative. Thank you so much for spending some time with us on the podcast. No, thank you for having me. It was, it was so great to talk to you and I love what you're doing on the podcast.